Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. I want to read there as we get started, as we continue our verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. This is week 16, I think, in Ephesians. And I want to read there uh, as we get started and just pray over the text as we receive it this morning. So Ephesians 4. In verse 17, and I'm reading out of the CSB this morning, if you wanted to sync up on your device, if you've got that capability. But Ephesians 4 and verse 17 says, Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life, that old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Blessed are you, O Lord, for the word that you have given us. I thank you that it's scripture that we can hold in our hands and carry about with us And yet it's the most powerful and most alive thing that we have access to in this life. I thank you that in it we find your truth and standing in your truth, we enjoy your peace. And Father, I thank you that you'll take my remarks today, simple or weak as they may be, and communicate to each heart as we have need of by the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that you are well able to give us our one word that we need today to sustain us not only today, but throughout this week. And I thank you that you continue to change us and grow us by your word in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. That's a big chunk of text right there. We're going to just start on it today. How about that? Y'all know how that goes. But um, have you ever been scared to ask a question because then you'd know the answer? Right. Have you ever been scared to ask something because then you'd know the answer and then you'd be accountable for the answer that you now know? Uh, one of the questions that we'll see answered as we continue into the second half of Ephesians is all of this that we've seen in chapter one and two and three. All of these things that we've seen about how big God is and all the things that he's done for us in Christ Jesus to save us and deliver us, how then should we live? How then, with all that in view and all that in mind and all of that in place, how should we live? Galatians 2 and 20, and I'll turn there. You don't have to turn there. But I want to read it because it was on my heart this morning as I was Going back over this. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. 
For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So how do I live this life? By faith in the Son of God, not setting aside grace. Amen. Amen. So when we see this first line of verse 17, Therefore, I say this in testifying the Lord, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live. Something stuck out to me. He said, no longer live as the Gentiles live, Gentiles being outsiders, somebody who had no relationship or access to God Almighty. He said, no longer live as the Gentiles live. They were Gentiles. He's writing this to people that were Gentiles. Or that's where they started. Remember, we'll look real quick and then I'm going to be done flipping and flopping pages for a little bit. In Ephesians 2 and 17, he said, he proclaimed, he came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away. That's the Gentiles. And peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of Of God's household. And then you look at verse 7 that we read here a few weeks ago. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, including those who were Gentiles, those who were far from God. See, they were Gentiles, but by grace, they weren't anymore. Amen. They weren't anymore. If you went back to chapter 2 and verse uh, 13. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. You who were far away have been brought near. So we're going to think about just a little bit the, the first part of this morning on the grace of I used to be a Gentile and now I'm not anymore. I was far away from God. I was separated without hope and without God in the world. That's what it says if you went back to verse 12 of chapter 2. I was without hope. I was without God in the world, but by His grace, I'm not that away anymore. And the gospel part of it is, we deserved to be far away. See, this is not the story of the long lost little princess where you were just little sweetie precious and you got separated out from daddy God. Right. And you're just over here living amongst the poor folks. And then you it's not a Disney movie. We deserve to be separated in our sin. We deserve to be without hope and without God in this life. But God who is rich in mercy, right? Through Christ forgave us our trespasses, graciously brought us into the family and adopted us and treated us like we had always been there. These are the realities that we've seen play out in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. We deserve to be separated, but he graciously gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting 
life. And by that grace, we're saved. And by that grace, we are changed. It's just a, we sang it this morning. Your grace changes everything. Your grace changes everything. It's the salve that heals the heart of every believer and transforms us into what we were supposed to be in Christ Jesus. Last week, Kemper called me the grace and mercy preacher. It's because the more I look at it, the more beautiful it looks. The more I look into it, the bigger it gets. And I can't stop talking about it because it's by grace that he saved us. It's by grace that he sustains us, holds us together and sanctifies us, changes us from what we were into the image of Christ Jesus. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to we're going to go further into there in chapter four, all those verses we just read of how are we supposed to live as believers? Because there is going to be a difference. He's starting off with saying you should no longer live as who? As the Gentiles live. Though you were one, you shouldn't live like one anymore. But before we move further into that and and these thoughts about Christian conduct, I want to pause here at verse 17 and talk about grace a little bit more and its application in our life. Some of the important things that we need to remember as we live in and walk in this grace that has saved us and is changing us. And remember, we talked about it last week and and Kemper did a good job of pointing it out is that when somebody shares, even if you just get one thing, just one word that's alive that you can take with you and keep turning over in your heart and in your mind and in your soul this week and let the Lord continue to work on that and use it in your life. It'll be one of the most powerful things you've ever experienced. So don't feel like you've got to download all of this. But ask the Lord, Lord, what, what's the one thing? And, and you can ask Marty. Sometimes it's not even something I said. <laughs> Sometimes it's something the Lord said while I was saying something. It'll stir it up in you. But look for your one thing. I, I want you to know some things about grace this morning that I think is going to help our perspective as we start walking into these uh, the rest of these verses in the coming weeks. Uh, the, the first thing. That we need to know about grace is grace does not exempt us from discipline. Or grace does not exempt us from the need for discipline. You know what that word exempt means, right? If, if you have a good enough GPA, you may be exempt from your semester tests. That means you don't have to go that day. You can skip that. Grace does not exempt us from the need for discipline. And we talked about that a little bit back in January. when We were talking about sowing and reaping and how a a disciplined Christian is more free than a Christian who's undisciplined because now more is available to you. Discipline or the disciplines of my Christian and spiritual life are what I do regularly and purposefully to direct my attitude and by my attitude 
my life. And, and it's the spiritual disciplines that we're familiar with, right? Taking in the scripture, hearing the scripture like we're doing today, reading the scripture in, in private and personally, and then even studying what it is that I'm reading or, or looking longer into what it is that I'm reading. Prayer, spending time with him, bringing my needs and my concerns to him and then seeing what he has to say about them. Pairing prayer and the scripture together. Fellowship service in the body of Christ. Working together with one another to build the kingdom here where we are. Stewardship, I mentioned that. Fasting. All these Christian disciplines that we have talked about and can talk about. Grace is not a shortcut around those. It's not a shortcut around my effort but grace is his divine blessing on all of my efforts. It doesn't exempt me from having to put forth effort. What it does is it blesses my efforts and causes them multiplication to bring forth more than I ever could. Amen. Discipline, the very nature of it, is it something that's private? Not not private, like you don't tell people about it, but private that it's done most of the time when nobody's looking. When, when nobody sees what it is that you're doing, it's normally not visible to others. What did Jesus say? When you pray, go off by yourself. When you give, don't make a big deal out of it. Why? Because these are your disciplines that are going to change the way that your attitude is, how you see and how you think about everything. The disciplines are done in private because it's preparing our hearts and our lives for the pressure of when we have to do something in public. It's building up strength there so that when we deal with something or deal in something publicly, that our heart is prepared and strengthened and ready for that moment instead of wilting in the moment. It means being a disciple of Christ Jesus and discipled after his will and his ways. The reality and, and the blessing of grace doesn't mean that I get to skip the difficult work of planting and watering the good and right things of God in my life. Planting the seed of grace in my life and in the lives of Others, what it means is there will be a divine blessing on the result. That's what the grace of God means when it comes to those disciplines. And remember, disciplines, they're small. It's not a big thing to pray every day. It's a small thing. It's unimpressive just in itself. But what it begins to work in you over time is going to be very impressive. It's going to make an impression on you. Anybody play an instrument in school, especially like like band? Right, Aaron, I played in the band not near as long or as well as Aaron did, but others have. What do you generally start every class with? When I was in there, every class we would start playing what? Is it the B flat scale? The B flat scale. And I still remember that. Why? Because we did it every single class. If you gave me a trumpet right now, 20 however many years later, we're not going to count them. 
I could probably play most of it. Why? Because every time you you just learn. And the the ones that were best at it in the class were playing it. The ones who were worst at it in the class were playing it. I'd be willing to bet if you go to the, the major orchestras and symphonies and you show up at the beginning of their practice, what are they going to be doing? A repetitive scale over and over and over. Even though they are some of the best of the best of the best, it's still rooted and grounded in the everyday, ordinary discipline. These things that build upon each day, day after day, that, that, that you don't take much notice of, that there's no prize for. There's no prize for basic discipline and it's done in private. But what these disciplines do is they keep, they keep us in an attitude of humility each day because we understand I need the basics every day. I need the basics Every day and it renews my mind, strengthening my understanding of him, talking about my Christian disciplines, what my life in him looks like and what my place in the world is. Again, they're they're small by themselves, but they have a giant part in your life, just like the difference between a seed and the plant that grows from it. The, the, the disciplines start out they're just really small. They don't seem like they're going to do very much. But over time and built up, you, you, you'll see strength. You'll see ability. You'll see capability that you wouldn't have otherwise had because you engaged in them. Right? Different example. If you weren't in the band, maybe you played football. We just had the Super Bowl here not too long ago. I guarantee you all of the ones that were in that ball game, especially the ones that are successful, the ones who compete day in and day out, they're still doing the things that they learned in junior high school at the beginning of a practice. What are they doing? All right, let's stretch. Why? Because I need to make sure everything's loose. I don't want anything to to be harmed in what I'm doing today. I want to be most prepared for today. Patrick Mahomes still has to study his playbook. Even if he breaks loose and doesn't follow the play, he still has to study it. Right. He's still training at the, what, doing, doing what? Doing the same things that they teach in junior high school, even though he's got this great ability. What we need to see and understand is even that ability, which he has natural ability that I can't match. But all of that ability that's been given to him by grace, if it wasn't standing on top of all of those everyday ordinary disciplines, you wouldn't know his name. Because I've seen it. I've seen athletes come through here that could have played with him in the NFL, but wouldn't adopt the disciplines that every day when nobody was looking to build up the inner strength that they would need to when things went public, they could handle it. And they didn't ever get to make it there. Disciplines are difficult. And they reveal in us, the laziness that's still there, the foolishness that's still there. I still have some of that in me. I know you still have some of it in you, right? And and it brings it to bear and it applies the grace of God to it so that we're trained and strengthened in it. It's preparing us for fruitfulness in our Christian life. And again, it continues to bring about 
humility. The more you engage with Scripture, you're always going to be bumping up against your limit. No matter how far it is you've walked with Him, no matter how far it is you've come with Him in this life, He's always bigger, He's always greater, and you're going to constantly be faced with the fact how much bigger He is than you. The more you push against that, you're always going to be bumping your limit. So when you're feeling that, don't be surprised because that's the way that it works. He's constantly got you growing and bumping up against that next level of growth where you always feel like, have I even grown at all? (laughs) But when you look back, you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, because I used to be way back there. At this. I'm not all the way home yet, but I'm not where I once was. It just reminds me so much of how reliant I am on him. Again, talking about that grace, he has graciously given us these disciplines to walk in and day by day, step by step, one at a time. He's teaching us more and more about grace and faithfulness through these everyday, ordinary disciplines that we engage in. So the first thing I want you to understand and remember about grace as we're we're walking through all of these things in the coming weeks is grace doesn't exempt us from discipline and it doesn't shortcut our efforts in it. What it does is it blesses and multiplies it in a way that we could never hope to do on our own. That's number one. The second one, and and I'll start with, I'll start it this way. We have a, a generation right now, a generation right now that has more information on mental health than ever before. We have more tools and access to more resources in the area of mental health. I don't even know if that was a word when I was in school. Mental illness was, mental health wasn't. So that just shows you how far we've come, right? More than ever before. I don't think anybody would argue that. And yet, they are also the generation in the most distress in that area. Why? You ever ask that? Why? And obviously that one we could talk about for a week, we talk about for a month. There's lots of things that go in to that. You know, someone say, well, it's definitely social media. And while social media absolutely plays a part, you can look at other countries that have social media and the young people aren't suffering the same level of distress that we are here in this country. So Why? Why? And again, we, lots of reasons, lots of things we could talk about. I'm going to posit one today. One. Here's, here's what I believe. One of the reasons, not the only reason, maybe not even the biggest reason, but one of the reasons is that young people, specifically in our context, where we are, they don't believe they can fail without being ruined. They don't believe they can fail without it being their utter and complete ruin. And you just think about the pressure that that puts on someone, right? Because we see everything now is public. Everything is public. Used to it was just at your own school. That's where people knew you. 
or in your own town, that's where people knew you. And now everything, seemingly, is absolutely open for public consumption and judgment. And they realize that and they don't believe that they can fail without being completely ruined. And so what what develops from that? An extreme anxiety around performance. Extreme anxiety around my performance and what I do. And what we know, if you're older, we know for sure that none of us is perfect. And we're all going to fail. Grace doesn't exempt me from failure. It gives me hope in it. It gives me hope in it. One other thing I'll tell you, just in getting in the, 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 what do they call it, the head shrinking world. Something studies are showing is that young people that come from authoritative, conservative households have, by and large, better mental health than people who come from um, everything's open to you, there are no boundaries, liberal households. Which doesn't seem like that would make sense, right? It seems like if you got to do whatever you wanted, then you would feel better than if you were any type of constrained. But what they're seeing is, and, and again, not authoritarian, not I'm a, I'm a dictator, but I set down rules, and more important than the rules, I set down parameters and guidelines, and I say, stay in this lane. Stay in here, and here's why. Because if you, if you veer out over into here, you, you're likely to get hurt. So, so stay in here and learn to walk in here. And then the weight then isn't on them to figure out what to do and where to go and how to live. But the weight rests more on those guardrails that have been put into place. And they're able to say, okay, I can fail in this context. But if I fail in this context, I'm not utterly ruined. But in the other side... It's like, hey, you can do anything you want. Everything. No, don't withhold anything from yourself. Don't hold anything back. But, but yet you also see over here, if you, if you cross a line that you didn't know was there, you might get crucified. And so they know that there are boundaries there, but they don't know where they are. And when you don't know the rules of the game that you're playing, it's hard to play it with confidence. And so with our kids, we want to put them in positions where they have the information and they have the opportunity and they can fail, right? Because you're going to fail. You're going to fail. Anybody like sports? I do. I looked up who has the best career batting average in Major League Baseball all time. All time, best career batting average. We know what batting average is. It's when I get up to the plate, how often am I recording a hit? It's like a percentage, right? What's the percentage of the time that I get up to the plate and I'm facing the pitcher that I record a hit or I have a successful at bat? And the most successful Major League Baseball player career batting average was Ty Cobb. And his batting average was .366. That means that a third of the time he got up to the plate, he recorded a hit. That means the other two out of three times, he failed. And he's the best one ever. He's the best one ever to do it. 
and he was failing more than he was succeeding. We're going to do that. That's going to happen. Grace doesn't exempt us from failure. I failed at this. Not God's fault, my fault. There's been times where I've failed in preaching. I'm hoping for one out of three. I don't do one out of three, do good. That'd be a good batting average suit. We never preaching average. No, don't tell me what it is. <laughs> but when we have that, when we know that we have grace in failure, it gives us power to grow from it and not be ruined by it, but be raised up in it. See what I'm saying? One of the great problems is that they don't think they can fail without being ruined. If I fail, it's over because everybody's going to know. When in truth, we all know that we fail. Grace doesn't exempt us from failure. If we fail, that means we tried and trying is better than doing nothing. Doing nothing will get you nothing. You'll contribute nothing. Grace doesn't exempt us from failure, but by God's grace, when we fail, we won't be, as Scripture would say, utterly cast down. We wouldn't be ruined, but we are given hope. Grace in discipline. Grace in failure. And the third one, the last one we'll talk about, is grace in and suffering. Grace and suffering, or think of it this way, if you don't like the word suffering, grace and the cross. Grace and the cross. Because the grace in your life, the grace in my life, the grace at work in our life will lead us to places in the world and people in the world who are in the most pain. Grace in your life will lead you to people who are in pain. And will lead you to painful places. I'm not saying you're suffering for... Christ suffered for them. Christ suffered ultimately for them. For their salvation. And He also told us, what? Take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Calling us to serve others. The grace that is upon your life, which we saw earlier in chapter 4, that, that we all have a work in the ministry. That we're equipped as saints in gatherings like this for the work of the ministry. And the grace on your life will draw you into the pain and the suffering of others so that you can help bring an answer. So that you can help bring peace. And listen... You're going to get close to it. And being close to it, it's hard not to be, it's impossible not to be touched by it. Isn't it? How can you not be touched by it? But you're there, and you're especially graced to be there. To plant grace and hope in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of pain, in the midst of difficulty. You will find the grace on your life will draw you into other people's broken situations, other people's difficult situations and painful situations so that you can be an answer there. And glory will come from it 
to God the Father. I'll give you an example of this. I preached my first sermon in this sanctuary in December of 2004. It's a few years ago now. December of 2004 as a much younger man. And I began, thanks to uh, the, the pastor at the time, who gave me room and gave me grace to grow, to fail, to grow through failure. And I began to do that. I began to minister uh, semi-regularly, maybe five, ten times a year. You know, that's when we still had Sunday nights or so Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, maybe once in a while on a Sunday morning. And, and two years after I had been doing that, in December of 2006, my great-grandmother went to heaven. She went to heaven on a Sunday morning at her house after getting cleaned up, and she was in her 90s, getting cleaned up, fresh pajamas on. You know, Her son had gone to fix breakfast, and as the sun's coming through the window, she goes on to heaven. I mean, come on, that's what I want, right? And they said, my grandmother asked me specifically, she said, will you preach at her funeral? And I said, oh my gosh, yes. It was a blessing to be asked to do that and a grace. And, and I did it. And it was, it was interesting. It was my first time to do anything like that. All right, praise God. About a year after that, and so in November of 2007, so again, I've been ministering about was that three years here and there? One funeral. I have a cousin who's 30 years old who died tragically and died as a direct result of drug addiction. And I won't forget when my mom called me to tell me that, she said, Is my great uncle's daughter? She said, They're having the graveside here in Bearden. So she can be buried by her mom who had passed previously. She said, they want you or your dad to speak at the graveside. And he doesn't know what to tell them. And that was a lot. And my answer had to be, tell them I'm going to do it. Tell them I'm going to do it. I didn't want to. It was the hardest, to that point in my life, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. The most difficult thing ever put out in front of me. Because, again, 25 years old. I'm preaching for just a couple of years. And then this is put in front. To what, but what was happening? The grace that God had put on my life to do what I was doing then, to, what I'm still doing now, had drawn me into a spot of great pain and sorrow and brokenness and suffering to bring the light. Not my light. Thank God. I just went to him like, I do not know. I said yes to this and I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know how this is going to go. But what I do want to do is I want to minister to my family. And I want to bring hope in this situation. And looking back, I see that now, that the grace that was on me to do what I could do. And when you're trying to figure out how, what is grace on my life, because yours may not look like this, 
But grace on your life is when there is a divine multiplication on what you're doing that is definitely disconnected from your ability and your efforts. Definitely disconnected from your ability and your where you're seeing God do more what with you doing less. Like I feel like you're taking what I'm doing and just making it do so much more. That's where you see the grace of God on your life. And that's a big key to, to figuring out, Lord, what do you have for me to do? Where do you have me graced to minister? Because there is grace on each one of our lives. I don't have to guess at that. That's not prophetic. That's biblical. That there is a grace on your life to be a minister of reconciliation for God and His kingdom in this world, in this community. And again, the outflows will look different. Yours won't look like somebody, may not, won't look like everybody else's. But it'll have the same direction. And again, it's where you experience grace is where you experience that divine multiplication that exceeds your efforts. Or as one old preacher put it, it's where your gladness in Christ and the hunger of the world meet. Where your gladness in Christ to go, this is, I don't, Marty doesn't know why she's glad to go to the jail to minister, right? That's a hard thing to do. It's a difficult thing to do, but there's a grace on her life to do it. And when it comes time to do it, not that it's easy, but she's able to, by grace, walk into something that most people couldn't do. And it's drawing her into other people's brokenness, other people's pain, other people's questions to bring a blessing of grace. Grace will lead you into the pain and suffering points in people's lives. It just will. Grace, it, we got to get we got to get past this. Grace will not restrict life to just the activities that you enjoy. Grace is not going to do that. If that's was your expectation, you're going to be disappointed. It's not just now you will enjoy the results of operating in the grace of God in your life. But it's not just limiting your activities to just those things that you enjoy. That is not what ministry is. And again, we all have one. We all have one. It's me being able to say, God, I feel like you've given me something to speak into this. I feel like you've given me something that can help here. It's not anything of me. But what I'm going to do, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to be faithful to keep showing up and to keep helping. As much as you give me the grace to help, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to bump up against a lot of brokenness and a lot of pain. And it's going to pull a lot out of me. And I'm going to have to come back to you on my own and get filled back up. I'm going to get full in my spending my time with you. And you send me out here. To help other people. The grace of God on your life is going to draw you into the suffering of other people. Now, that doesn't mean your life's going to be miserable. There's there's plenty of enjoyment. There's plenty of laughter. There's plenty of fun in this life. But, But understand 
That, that you don't turn away when it looks like, good, good, I don't know about this. I better call it just the pastor's going to have to handle this one, right? Not saying the pastor doesn't handle things. But I'm saying, ask him first, am I here for a reason? Am I the one on, am I the first boots on the ground for a specific purpose? And there's going to be things, you're going to get to walk with people through tough and difficult times, but you get to be the grace of God that they see in this life. All the grace that we enjoy through the body of Christ, ministering in the world, ministering here to one another. We're taking the good news of His gospel, the light of His love, the healing of His grace onto enemy turf, into suffering, into darkness, into brokenness. And we're seeing people be saved and healed and delivered and set free, not by us, but by the grace that is in us. That's what we have it for. That's what we've been disciplining ourselves for. That's what we're not afraid of failure in. We engage. And finally, again, verse 17. He said, therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer live as the Gentiles live. Now, when we see therefore, what does it mean? Let's see what he said before. What did he say before? He said, therefore, don't live like the Gentiles live. Why? If you go back, it says he's given gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry to what? Build up the body of Christ so that we would all reach the unity of the faith in the knowledge of God's son. They were all growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we'll no longer be children tossed by waves, blown to and fro by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ. So when he says, therefore, no longer live as the Gentiles live, but walk in the grace that saved you, what's the reason for that? It's because we got stuff to do. We got stuff to do to see the world be changed by the grace of God that has changed and is changing us. We're called to change one and all and to be equipped as ministers of the gospel so that we can see grace continue to go forth. That I'm disciplining myself. I'm ready. Right. That I'm not worried about failure. I mean, I'm going to be like Ty Cobb. I'm going to fail two out of three times, but I hit the ball that one time, didn't I? And I hit it good. And then I understand that it's going to involve me taking up my cross and following him in his likeness. It doesn't get easier. It doesn't. It gets more difficult. But as it says in James, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. God resists the proud, those that think they can do it by themselves. But He gives grace to the humble. So we humble ourselves before Him and we say, this grace that you put on my life, I thank you that as I continue to bring myself before you, as I continue to walk with you, you're changing me, you're transforming me, you're strengthening me, you're building me up. And God, I pray that you would help me to see where you would pour this grace out in my community, in my family, in the people that I'm around. What can I do to bring light into the darkness and peace into broken places?
Amen. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this glorious grace by which you've saved us. God, the more we look at it, the bigger it gets. It's not just a saving grace. It's a sustaining grace. It's a sanctifying grace. Father, if there be anybody here who's not found that yet in their life, who's not experienced it, I thank you, Lord, that today would be the day. Today would be the day. And Lord, for those of us that have been walking with you, we're believers. I thank you that we we continue to grow in our understanding of your grace in our life, that your grace is sufficient. Your strength is made perfect in our weakness. And it's not bypassing our efforts. It's including our efforts and blessing them and causing them to bring about something that we could have never, ever seen on our own. I thank you for the growth that we've seen and that we will see. One and all, you've called us to grow. And I thank you that this year is going to be a year of real good growth in the body of Christ. Lord, I thank you that we won't be afraid of failing because we'll know that we are a part of your family. And our part in your family is not based on our success rate. It's not based on our batting average. It's based on Jesus Christ, that that we are found in him. He is our righteousness And we live this life by faith in Him who saved us. And we don't set aside that grace knowing that it's the reason we get to be here. And Father, when it brings us close to the suffering of others and it weighs on our heart, I thank You that we're not in those situations alone. Lord, we're not even close to being alone. You are with us. And it's the grace that You've put on us that has drawn them close to us so that we can minister peace. Lord, we don't have the words, but you do. We don't know the ways yet, but you do. And I thank you that you'll lead us in those paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Father, I thank you for your grace and that we would see it more clearly. As we get ready to go today, Lord, I thank you that we'll walk in peace and unity with each other, that you'll take us through this week with eyes open, acknowledging you, that you're there and that you have something to do in our life and through our life that will touch those around us. I pray that you strengthen us and keep us in your perfect peace as our mind is stayed on you. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that we can come together and lift our eyes up to you and worship and see you more clearly so that we can follow you more closely. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.